Many of you know, uh, Aaron and I, my wife, we are the parents of three kids, Piper, Vera, and Reuben, and we are expecting our fourth child at the end of the September because we figured, what's one more, right? How hard could it be? It's, gonna, it's already crazy. It's already loud at our house. We already own a minivan. We got two sets of bunk beds, so technically there is room for one more. We'll see how that goes. Um, here there's no refunds, so we're kind of stuck, right? <laughs> Similar to most any other parent, right, Aaron and I have many goals, many aspirations for our kids. First and foremost, uh, we want them to know Jesus and follow closely after him. Third John chapter 1 verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now here John is talking about his spiritual children, not biological children, but for Aaron and I, we would have this same joy if our kids were walking with Jesus. And of course, we also want our kids to be contributing members of society. We want them to do well in school. We want them to have a career they're passionate about, whether that means taking care of kids of their own or working a nine to five somewhere. And, and we, if, and if I'm being honest, it's really I want them to adopt fandom for all the Chicago sports teams, right? I don't want to have to write my kids out of the will. <laughs> I will, though. Um, <laughs> in addition to all of that, right, in addition to all of that, we want to raise independent children, right, who one day become independent adults. Now, of course, they start off as infants who are completely dependent on us for absolutely everything, food, clothing, comfort, cleanliness, and the list goes on and on and on. Of course, as time goes by, they become a little more independent. And as parents of young children, maybe you can relate if you have kids of your own or if you remember those days with littles running around, you better believe as parents of young kids, we celebrate all those steps, even the tiny ones, toward independence, right? I get pumped when my kids get themselves dressed. It's like, thank you, Jesus, right? I get excited when they get themselves breakfast. I'm so excited that they know how to go to the bathroom on their own, right? These are things that just thrill me as a parent. Perhaps the best, though, was when they learned how to buckle their own car seats, right? No more climbing into the back row of the van feeling like I'm standing on my head when it's a billion degrees in there. You guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> now, as the years go by, we want them to continue to take steps toward independence, make progress toward becoming independent adults, right? At the end of the day, I want to avoid a 35-year-old Reuben living at my home with no direction in life. That's essentially what I'm going for. <laughs> and while our goal for them is to gradually move toward independence... Our desire for their spiritual life is the exact opposite. For the past two weeks, we've been in this series called In the Eyes of the Lord. And throughout the series, we've been taking a look at various kings, Old Testament kings of Judah and Israel. And as we read about them, as we learn about their lives, we see that some did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and others did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. However, it's not as black and white as those descriptions might lead us to believe. We all know that anytime anything that involves human lives, things can get 
pretty complicated. This morning, I want to introduce or perhaps reintroduce you to King Asa. And so I'd encourage you to turn in your Bible or open up your Bible app to 2 Chronicles chapter 14. 2 Chronicles chapter 14. And we're actually going to be taking a look at chapter 14, 15, and 16. But we'll get underway here in chapter 14. And the chapter begins by telling us that Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. And in the following verses, we see evidence of this description. Essentially, we get this list of all the things that Asa has done right, all the good that he has brought about as the king of Judah. It says King Asa was responsible for removing foreign idols from the land, ridding the land of idolatry. He also commanded Judah to seek the Lord and to obey his laws and commands. See, Asa was doing his job as the king to lead his people toward God. Chapter 14 goes on to say that God gave Judah rest from their enemies, which allowed them to build up their fortified cities and prosper as a nation. The reign of King Asa, you could say, got off to a fantastic start. But like most stories, or most anything that we have going for us in life, there will come a time when we experience opposition. And that's also true for King Asa. And opposition eventually comes in the form of King Zerah and the vast army of the Cushites. And the Cushites marched out and, and were preparing for battle. And the Judean army marched out. And after both armies had taken up battle positions... King Asa calls out to God in verse 11. And I want to read for us what he has to say. Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this vast army. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. Now from this prayer that Asa prays, he's calling out to God, we learn something that's incredibly important about him, the king of Judah. We learn that King Asa is dependent on God. He says, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, God, for we rely on you. Now, in preparation for battle, King Asa could have done a lot of different things. He could have given his troops this inspirational speech, this charge about how they have to, to fight with valor and courage, and, and we're going to march out courageously and, and defeat this vast army, even though we're outnumbered. He could have given them this rousing charge. He doesn't do that, though. He could have tried to recruit more troops, recruit more soldiers knowing that he was heavily outnumbered. But he doesn't do that either. Considering that he was heavily outnumbered, he could have just thrown up the white flag and said, you know what, this isn't a good idea. Let's pack it in. Let's go home, right? He could have run for his life. Asa could have done so many different things before this battle began, but he chose to pray. He chose to recognize his need for God and ex express his dependence on him. 
In reference to Asa's prayer, one commentator writes, Asa acknowledged his dependence on God alone to maintain the peace and prosperity of Judah. Now what transpires after King Asa's prayer is, is pretty incredible. In the following verses, we learn that, that the mighty Cushite army is completely annihilated, completely destroyed. In verse 12, it says the Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. In verse 13, it says they were crushed before the Lord and his forces. Now what's unfortunate is that we don't know Asa's reaction. We don't know his response to Judah's victory over the Cushites. But i got to imagine that he was completely blown away. He knew the odds were completely against him and his small army in comparison to the Cushites. There was no way Judah should have won. And yet they won by a landslide. And I got to wonder if, if King Asa gets to the end of this battle and he's like, wow, wow, look at what God has done. Look at what God can do through us when we depend on him. And I imagine some of, some of us here in this room, we can relate to King Asa. Because there's been a time in your life when you've, when you've relied on God, you trusted in him, and then you witnessed him go to work through you and in you. And maybe he did even more than you could have imagined. Now, if, if Asa was unsure about whether or not God would come through for him, or if he had any reservations about relying on God, I think those would have vanished after this battle. But I know while, while Asa's reservations may have gone away, you and I as followers of Jesus, or maybe you're just kind of exploring this whole Christianity thing, who is Jesus, can I trust him? I'd imagine many of us still in this room, we, we have reservations about relying on God and completely depending on him. And we, and we wonder, will God really come through for me? Or can I really trust him and give my kids, my finances, my plans, my decisions, every aspect of my life, can I give that over to him? We well, see this battle, it serves as a great reminder, it serves as a great lesson for us that faith can hold in the face of overwhelming odds. You see, it's, it's all about acknowledging human helplessness and putting our dependence, our faith, and trust in him. One of the things that we need to grab from chapter 14 is that dependence on God is the starting point for every area of our lives. There's no area where that's not true. There's no area where we can say, hey, I'm going to depend God, I'm going to trust in God, I'm going to rely on God for this but I'm going to do my own thing over here. No. Every area, every aspect of our lives, the starting point is dependence on God. Now, as chapter 14 comes to a close, things are going well for King Asa, and that's a trend that continues in chapter 15. King Asa increases his efforts to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. He continues to live in obedience. He continues to lead the people of Judah to God. And because of all that Asa does, the writer of Chronicles says, Asa's heart 
was fully committed to the Lord all his life. In essence, this statement serves as a summary of King Asa's life up to this point. But we encounter a turning point, if you will, at the outset of chapter 16. And I want to read chapter 16, verse 1 for us. It says, in the 36th year of King Asa's reign, he'd been ruling for quite some time, 36 years. He's been doing this for a while. In the 36th year of King Asa's reign, Bashar, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. And so here we see once again, this foreign nation has come to make war against King Asa and the people of Judah. And this time, it's King Bashar and the people, the nation of Israel. Now, there is no doubt that King Asa would recall all that took place the last time a nation opposed Judah. You see, we know exactly what happened when the Cushites marched out to battle. King Asa and the Judeans, they relied on God, and he gave them this incredible, overwhelming victory over the Cushites. And even though decades had passed since that amazing victory, King Asa had no reason to doubt that relying on God would produce the same result. But King Asa takes a much different approach this time around. Check out verses 2 and 3. It says, Asa then took silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and of his own palace and sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus. Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I am sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Bashar, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. Rather than acknowledge his need and express his dependence on God, King Asa decides, I can handle this myself. I've been here, done that before. I got this. I know what it takes to get out of a situation like this. I've done it. I've been successful. And so King Asa, he enters into a treaty with Ben-Hadad, king of Aram. And king of Aram, they, the nation of Aram, they had already formed this treaty with the nation of Israel. And so Judah is asking them to break this treaty and go up and, and attack the nation of Israel. And in the following verses, we see what happens. And, and Ben-Hadad agrees to this treaty. And he goes and attacks various towns in Israel. And now Bashar, the king of the Israelites, hears what's going on. His nation is now under attack from king, uh, the king of Aram, who they formerly had a treaty with. And so he must re retreat. He must withdraw from attacking Judah or his plans to attack Judah. And he must now go back and defend his own nation. All that to say... King Asa's plan worked very well. It worked very well. He essentially, this treaty, uh, it effectively ends the threat against Judah. However, the celebration would be short-lived. 
Starting in verse 7 of chapter 16, Hanani the prophet comes with a message for King Asa. Follow along as I read verses 7 through 9. It says, At that time Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. If there was ever a message that uh, uh, spoiled a celebration, this is it. Right? This is it. Because God doesn't send Hanani to congratulate King Asa on his victory. This isn't an attaboy job well done. God sends Hanani to, to deliver a hard truth to King Asa. You messed up. You messed up. Your plan may have worked, but your plan was not God's plan. Your way was not God's way. Hanani replied, you, or says, you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God. Based on past experience, King Asa should have known better. History should have been his teacher. He should have known to trust God. He should have known to seek him first. But as one commentator says, in this crisis... Asa shuns divine aid and trusts in his own power, his political savvy, and human instincts to deliver Judah. And as we read this story, I don't know about you, this is certainly true for me, it's hard not to judge King Asa. I kind of want to grab him by the shoulders and be like, dude, what are you doing? How could you be such a moron? Like, don't you remember what God has done for you? It was just a few decades prior that you faced this massive army. You had no business even being in this battle. And yet God gave you victory because you relied on him. How could you forget that? Why wouldn't you turn to him again? But before we go down that road, we got to take a look in the mirror. Because the unfortunate reality is that you and I suffer from spiritual amnesia just like King Asa. We are quick to forget what God has done for us. We're quick to forget how he has demonstrated his faithfulness to us when we've relied on him. And as a result of our forgetfulness, we tend to make the same mistake as King Asa. We rely on ourselves, my wisdom, my experience, my instincts, rather than rely on God. We fail to recognize that we are powerless and in need of God to intervene. We fail to acknowledge our utter dependence on God. And whenever that happens, there will be consequences. And we see that in the life of King Asa. 
In verse 7, we learn that Asa's failure to rely on God means that Judah will not be able to conquer the nation of Aram. Hanani said, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. And in verse 9, we learn that the peace that Judah enjoyed for decades is over. Hanani says, from now on, you will be at war. And I'd like to tell you that King Asa comes to his senses and he, and he seeks God's forgiveness and he turns things around. But that's not exactly how things go. Check out verses 10 through 13. It says, Asa was angry with the seer because of this. He was so enraged that he put him in prison. At the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. The events of Asa's reign from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. And though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Then in the 41st year of his reign, Asa died and rested with his fathers. You see, the downward spiral in the life of King Asa continues. And even at the end of his life, he fails to seek help from the Lord. And so we hear all this. We walk through his life. We walk through the reign of Asa. And we have to ask ourselves the question, well, what is there for me to learn? From all that goes on in King Asa's life, what do I need to grab hold of? And if you miss everything else this morning, be sure to grab hold of this. And that's we never outgrow our dependence on God. We never outgrow our dependence on God. There will never come a time when we've got so much spiritual experience, so much wisdom, so much know-how that we can do it on our own. We must continually go back to the starting point of dependence on God, humbling ourselves and recognizing our desperate need for Him. And while that's a, something we have to remember, we have to grab hold on, this truth is so difficult for us to understand. It's so difficult for us to apply to our lives because our experience our spiritual growth, the moments of victory, the moments of success that we experience in our lives can cause us to forget our never-ending need for God. Because you see, you, you understand that in most areas of our lives, experience and growth lead to independence, which is the goal. In most every area of our lives, experience and growth lead to independence, which is what we're going after. When I learned to drive, right, I began with someone always in the seat next to me, one of my parents or the driving instructor. And they were guiding me, coaching me, screaming occasionally, right? <laughs> but as I gained more experience, I began to drive on my own. Someone who begins to serve as a waiter in a restaurant 
When they take that job, they shadow someone who has more experience. They follow them around. They watch what they do. But as they get more experience, they're eventually cut loose to wait tables on their own. Going back to the illustration of children, as they grow up, they become, hopefully, more and more independent. They're able to do things for themselves. We take the training wheels off. They make decisions on their own. But when it comes to our spiritual maturity, the opposite is true. You see, the goal is dependence on God. Spiritual growth, as Kevin Myers says, is the process of moving from independence to dependence. And as we grow spiritually, as we become more and more mature in our walk with the Lord, we ought to become more and more and more and more and more dependent on God. And that's a trend, that's a pattern, that's of movement that should never come to an end if we're growing in our relationship with God. We should constantly be on this trajectory of, of making ourselves more dependent on God and less dependent on ourselves. Removing self-reliance. That's what spiritual growth is is and i wish simply knowing this information was enough for it to have an effect on our behavior and our desires but we can know this all day long and that doesn't necessarily change our desires to do what i want to do and to be independent and so because that's the case, let me quickly just, just walk you through a few things that may happen as a result of relying on God, excuse me, relying on yourself instead of relying on God. The first thing that may happen is that you might experience some level of success. And that may sound surprising to you, right? That, that may not have been what you were expecting to hear, but it's true. King Asa relied on his own political strategy. He relied on his own military tactics, his leadership experience. He entered a treaty with the king of Aram in order to defeat Israel, and it worked. It worked very well, right? It worked super good. And you might be successful too. You might make a lot of money or perhaps you'll climb the corporate ladder or maybe you'll have a life that other people are envious of. The car you drive, the trips you take, whatever the case may be. However, if you fail to rely on God, you will also accomplish nothing. And I realize that initially that sounds like a contradiction. But let's read Jesus' words in John chapter 15, verse 5. They may be familiar to you. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now I get it. You and I, we all know people who live independently from God and have accomplished plenty. They've experienced some level of success I just mentioned. 
However, unless we are dependent on God and connected to him, we will accomplish nothing of true, eternal significance. Unless we rely on God, we will live a life that is void of true purpose and meaning. The second thing that might happen as a result of relying on yourself instead of relying on God is that you miss out on what God has for you. See, God intended for King Asa to conquer the nation of Aram, and this would have increased the power, the wealth, the prestige of King Asa and the nation of Judah. But Asa's failure to rely on God caused him to miss out on what God had in store for him. And the reality is when you and I, when we fail to rely on God, we're going to miss out too. And sometimes we may know what we're missing out on. We did it our way and it's like, ah, I, I, I did that, I missed that. And other times we have no idea what could have been. But either way, we know that God's way would have been better. We know that our failure to depend on God and trust in him means that we've chosen to settle for something that is less than what God desires for us. And finally, the third thing that will happen as a result of relying on ourselves instead of relying on God is that we will experience consequences. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. See, life for King Asa was great until his self-reliance got in the way. His failure to depend on God led to war, to illness, and to ultimately to death. And when we experience consequences for our self-reliance, my hope and prayer is that they will drive us back to the feet of Jesus. That our consequences will serve as a wake-up call to repent and rely on him. I love what Mark Job, the president of the Moody Bible Institute, writes in his book, Unstuck. Listen to this. From God's perspective, the weak and broken who have learned to rely on him are the real heroes. Self-reliance is a subtle cancer of the soul because it slowly replaces our dependence on God with our dependence on our own ability and resources. Unlike other temptations, the more experience we gain and the more successful we become, the greater we feel the lethal pull of self-reliance. We need to come back to God, turning our backs on our own proud self-confidence. How liberating to transition from the hollow arrogance of self-reliance to the strength of God-dependence. And as we close, I want to ask two simple questions for us to consider. Has self-reliance replaced your dependence on God? And do you look to your own abilities and resources before you look to God? And perhaps these are questions that you'll be able to consider, reflect upon throughout this next week and, and figure out what areas of my life do I trust in my own ability? Do I look to my own resources, my own experience, my own instincts, my own wisdom before going to God? And my encouragement, my hope for us is that we would be a people who would begin each day on our knees before Jesus, expressing our dependence on him. That we would turn our back on our self-reliance 
and live in the strength of God dependence each and every day.